Hi everyone, and welcome to our continuing series of overviews of the Prima Materia wines. I'm Pietro, uh, owner and winemaker, bottle washer at Prima Materia. Our vineyard is up in Lake County, but our tasting room is in Oakland, near the Berkeley border in the Temescal neighborhood. Uh, when we get a little bit less COVIDity going on, we encourage you to come and join us. Uh, we are doing four bottle delivery for free in the Bay Area, though, if you're interested in trying any of the wines. And today we are going to talk about Barbera. Pretty interesting grape with a really unique history in California. Uh, just for information's sake though, uh, we have 12 acres up in Lake County. We grow all of our grapes up there. I spend half my year in the vineyard and then half winery, tasting room, etc. Uh, so I've got first-hand knowledge growing this stuff. Uh, we grow three different clones, all of which are a little bit different. Harvest them, treat them separately, then combine them in the bottle to age. If you're not familiar with Lake County, we are the next county north from Napa. In fact, if you drive up Napa Valley, heading to the north towards Calistoga, you have two mountain ranges that form the valley. And in fact, those two mountain ranges continue up into Lake County. So on our handy little map here, Napa County border down to the south, Sonoma County, and then Mendocino. Those two mountain ranges continue, and just like in Napa, they kind of define what Lake County is as well. Uh, generally, we're at a little bit higher elevation, and we're in a fairly warm area, but our vineyard's at 1,500 feet, and I think right now grapes go all the way up to 3,000 feet in Lake County, uh, even higher than Napa. So that has a lot of moderating effect, and there are lots of different soil microclimates, weather patterns. We have a million-year-old lake right in the middle of the county that defines a lot of uh, weather patterns on its own. So, really unique area. Barbera does well up there. It's something I'd like to see planted more often. Um, a bit of background, though. Uh, Barbera is the third most planted grape in Italy, uh, behind Sangiovese, or third most planted red variety, I should say, behind Sangiovese and Montepulciano. Uh, Barbera has some peculiarities to it, though. Um, one interesting thing about it is that it sort of just dropped out of space. It doesn't have any DNA relations to Nebbiolo, Dolcetto, other Piemontese grape varietals from the area. And in fact, there's this theory. Uh, Barbera often has a particular it's hard to phrase it nicely, make it sound tasty. Uh, sort of a vulcanized rubber component to it, just natural molecules that occur within grapes. Some smell like roses, some smell like lilac, some smell like rubber. Uh, a few grapes, small family from Western China, have the same naturally occurring odor molecules in it. So there's this theory that it's actually a Chinese grape that made it over to Monferrato, somewhere between the 13th and 15th centuries. Kind of weird. Uh, Sangiovese also actually has the same thing in that it's closer DNA-wise to a lot of the native river grapes than other vinifera species. So, But we'll get to that on the Sangiovese one. Um, as we know, Piemonte, uh, Nebbiolo, Dolcetto, Barbera are the three main grapes. Uh, and we do have all three of those. We, we do have some good Nebbiolo vintages that occur, but it's, you know, hit or miss. It's, it's very growing season dependent. Uh, Dolcetto 
can be good. Um, Dolcetto's a little more heat sensitive. That's one thing that's nice about Barbera. It kind of sits right in the middle. It likes warmth, consistent warmth. Uh, it can deal with some cold, uh, but it's a fairly hearty grape. And it's uh, a bit of a survivor as well. It's, although it needs a lot of canopy management, it naturally produces pretty consistent fruit. If anything, just controlling the crop and keeping it small and light enough uh, rather than producing too much is the key to it really making a great wine. The defining things about Barbera, I have a hard time comparing it to any other grape. So the three things I would say, Barbera should always have high acidity. Now in really hot climates like Central Valley of California, it can in fact lose acidity and become a soft round wine. But in most moderate climates, including Lake County, Napa, uh, there's a little bit of Barbera in Sonoma County in several different locations, certainly Mendocino. Um, all are going to be high acid reds. And that's its defining features. High acidity and low tannin. And then third, well third and fourth, um, good color. Just by its nature, Barbera has really stable color, which is one of the nice features of it. And then it also, it's very fruit forward. It's very round. It's very grapey. In fact, if there's a possible detraction to it, it's that it can be a little bit one note grape jelly-ish. Um, especially if it gets overripe in really warm areas where you're picking it late and making 15% alcohol wines. It can be like something more that would be spread on toast than necessarily the best thing to go with your dinner. Uh, but a nice bright Barbera is one of the most food-friendly wines out there. And that acidity works really well in all sorts of circumstances, whether it's kind of brightening up braises, counterpointing butter-rich dishes, working with tomato, um, and then it could just be drunk on its own as well because it just has a very round mouthfeel that's very, very welcoming. Uh, Barbaria first came to California in, I think, 1884, a guy named John Doyle. Uh, the 1880s were a very active period of exploration in California. Grapes were being imported, planted everywhere. Lots of testing was going on. And even at that time, there was a sense that Barbera was a grape that had a ton of potential in Italy, but just wasn't quite meeting it. And that here in California, where it's a little warmer, um, the mountain viticulture isn't quite as challenging, we have water, that Barbera could really come into its own. So in the late 1880s, you had a few test plantings. Uh, Davis was researching it with Hilgard and uh, Italian Swiss colony probably the most famous producer of Sangiovese up near Cloverdale. Uh, and they became California's largest wine producer for a couple of decades, a little while later. They would bottle a varietal Barbera. You have to remember though, at the time, things were pretty much either red blend or white blend. Maybe, uh, maybe you'd see something called Hawk or Sauterne style. They were wines of a style. They are the common thing that we see today where you have Pinot next to Chardonnay, next to Cabernet Sauvignon, and maybe there's a Cab Franc Isle. That's a relatively new thing that didn't occur until the 1970s when that, that push really took hold. Mandavi was the, one of the first to run with that. And it really defines California wine now. We, you, know, you have red blends, but most things, if you go to Safeway, they're listed by varietal. That wasn't always the case. 
So you had these early explorations of Barbera, and it was always it was always out there, promising but never delivering. Um, great color, very friendly fruit qualities, uh, food friendly. But the thing with Barbera is that it really tends to overproduce. It needs a lot of work in the vineyard. In fact, I sort of dread all the canopy work on the Barbera every year. But it's key to getting good quality Barberas, getting out there, uh, making sure that sunlight infiltration is right, not too much, not too little, crop not too heavy. Uh, Barbera, if there's a lot of groundwater, it will just go crazy. Big, huge bunches um, that are not the slightly stressed type that we want that really deliver fine wine. Um, so we had some of these bottlings, but most of the reports came back that Barbera had a lot of promise, but we California might not be quite the right place for it. And I think that's because the viticulture wasn't dialed in at that time. But people knew it was there, knew it was quality. Uh, before Prohibition, in fact, Sebastiani planted, I think I, I, think I read about 5,000 acres as well. Uh, but Prohibition did not do well with Barbera. Barbera is not a grape that can be shipped very easily. Um, so even though a lot of vineyards were pulled out during Prohibition, a lot were also planted, but they needed to be grapes that could be shipped. You could put them into boxcars full of ice and get them to the East Coast. Barbera is very thin-skinned. It's very juicy. In fact, when we crush it, it's one of the juiciest things every year. It's uh, it just the grapes, they're very thin-skinned, and I can't really say it more literally than that. Unlike something like Ionico or our Sagrantino, you, know, you can barely pump that stuff. Very thick skins, very little juice, uh, not you know abundant liquidity to it. Um, the Barbera is different. Uh, kind of made a little bit of a comeback after Prohibition. There was a period in the 70s when Gallo was promoting its planting out in the Central Valley, and they put in about 20,000 acres because you could add it to a jug blend it kind of has a red blend flavor to it, very much on the plum spectrum, some blackberry, maybe some raspberry, boysenberry describes it pretty well. Uh, just very juicy, very like fruit juicy, juicy in a good way. Um, but real Barbera, like varietal Barbera, goes back to, in the modern era, uh, era uh, Amador County. So Montevina, I think, had the first real varietal label after Louis Martini's in 1954. I think that was in 1971. Uh, those vines don't exist anymore. And now the oldest Barbera vines in Lake County are Dick Cooper's uh, up in Amador as well. And Amador does really well with Barbera. Very similar to Lake County, same elevations. Um, if you think about California, we just happen to be on the west side and they're on the east side. Uh, the soils can be a little bit similar, uh, acidic, volcanic, like we're on. Um, the mix will be a little bit different. They're closer to a granite than we are, which makes for some really interesting wines out there too. Um, but Barbera is very adaptable. That's one of its virtues. It can actually, it's one of the few grapes that can tolerate uh, a lot of uh, salt in the water as well. Uh, I can't think of another grape actually that can take as much, which becomes important in certain areas with a lot of salinity. Uh, what else can I say about it? Current acreage in California, Grenache is, or I'm sorry, uh, Barbera is comparable to Grenache. They're, I think they're both at about 40,000 tons harvested per year, uh, which puts it like number 
six or so on the California red varietals. Um, that's about three, three to four times the amount of Cab Franc that's in California at the moment. So it's out there, but you don't necessarily see that much of it labeled varietally. It's something that blends well. Uh, a lot of that can be out in Central Valley areas where tonnage is mixed, you know, it goes into bulk reds. So through no fault of its own. Um, yeah, and we now have the Barbera Festival that's been running for six or seven years up in uh, Amador County as well. So it was actually Dick Cooper's place a couple times. Um, where you can taste 110 different Barberas by California producers, which is pretty amazing that there are that many. And you can handle it differently too. There's the very light and bright, sort of modern glue-glue approach. Barbera is something that even the old days, the Italians would say that it has to hit 14% to be a good drinkable wine. Um, that's the point where it's really searingly high natural acidity starts to back off and you start getting the ripe fruit flavors. So there is some truth to that. Uh, I know the modernists kind of ruined high alcohol wine, but you have grapes like Nebbiolo was always 14%, even 120 years ago. Barbera, if they could get it there, they, you know, it's the Sagrantino. These are all grapes that naturally gravitate towards that higher alcohol framework through no fault of their own. It's just, it's the nature of the grape. With Sagrantino, you're waiting for the uh, tannins to ripen up. Nebbiolo, same thing. They just, you can find 14% Nebbiolo that's 120 years old. Well, you can't find it, but if you could find it, it would be. So don't don't fear the ripeness factor. There are, there are many other things, weather, climate, elevation, uh, crop load, all those things affect those final numbers. Don't, don't be biased with it. Uh, for our Barbera, we have three different clones planted. Ironically, the first one that we planted in 1998 was Clone 02, which in the California trials back in the 70s, it was determined, and there weren't as many choices back then, there were only a few clonal types possible, um, that it was the worst performing one. And they talked about how huge amounts of bunch rot, monster, monster bunches, all sort of compressed, all these problems with it. And lo and behold, uh, at our place, at 1,400 feet, it's the opposite. Everything about it is the opposite of what they found in over-irrigated Lodi in the 70s. Tiny berries, tiny bunches. I actually don't drop any fruit in that block at all. Uh, very spicy. Because the bunches are open, they can actually take a little bit of rain. Hopefully just not too much, because Barbera is thin skin, But it's not going to bunch rot from the inside. Uh, very spicy, very pomegranate fruit. In those trials in Lodi, they were getting a very different fruit profile from it. Again, vine age, uh, what, what is your field culture? What are you doing if you irrigate? What are you doing with that? How much water is naturally available to the vines? That could have been at an elevation of two feet above sea level. So at 1,500 feet, it's going to act very differently. Um, so it's actually, as, as that block is hitting 22 years now. It's very low production. I wish we could get more out of it. Typically, Barbera is a heavy producer, and that's one of the problems with it. You gotta stay on it in the vineyard. Um, and it's very droopy vine. Some vines are very vertical. They'll just naturally grow towards the sun. Uh, Grenache, Morved, Negro Amaro, Sagrantino, those are very vertical. You can, those can be head, head pruned, head trained, and they're just gonna like have a nice, 
halo of vertical shoots. Barbera is very down growing. Um, Dick Cooper's uh, planting up in Amador County. I've been up there, I've talked to him. It's head pruned. I am not a supporter of that myself. So we don't, we don't do that. We're on a California sprawl trellis, which is just kind of creates a naturally cascading V with the idea that you get dappled sunlight where the grapes are and then the, the canes kind of wrap over it with the leaves. Uh, Barbera has small leaves and often very long nodes in between too. So when you're working in the vineyard, you have to take that into account. If you have big bushy leaves that create a wall of shade, then you have to handle that very differently. Um, that's closer to something like Negro Amaro or Grenache. The second clone that we have, I think is clone 09. First one, very pomegranate, like very bright, uh, great phenolics to it. The, the other block in the back, the 09, is much more blackberry. It's much more reductive. It has more of that sort of leather, possibly rubber tone to it, just naturally, which works out really well, in fact. We have a third type, a new clone. It was the last thing I planted. Uh, clone, I can't remember if it's 11 or 13, but it almost smells like Cab Franc. It's purple cassis, black pepper, very bright, very aromatic, very different than the other two. So now that we have all three coming together in the bottle, super happy with how we're getting these different dimensions and hoping, hoping that we get some layering in there. Uh, and true to that, I'm pretty sure that our approach of harvesting the different types separately, fermenting them separately, uh, the older pomegranate fruit one I like to do very cool and try to maintain all of that forwardness. The more boysenberry, blackberry type go hotter with it. Um, and because Barbera doesn't have a whole lot of tannin, I like to bring up some of that seed tannin. So it has a little bit of grittiness on the finish just to sort of uh, support all of that roundness. Otherwise it can just get too juicy, man. It can be like a, yeah, it, it can, it can get like super welches with a little bit of vodka kind of experience. So being able to get uh, some earthiness in there, a little bit of whole cluster is not a bad thing. Um, I know that's all the rage right now. And we will go up to 50% whole cluster on some of these. Uh, not, where we're at, 100 doesn't work out for me though, but it can add a little bit of that sort of bridging interest with the fruit and add spice notes. Uh, we don't use any new oak on these, on any of our wines in fact. Um, so if we're trying to bring up spice characteristics, we have to do it either fermentation-wise or with stems, um, just keeping it very natural. Everything is unfined, unfiltered. Usually go about 12 to 16 months in barrel before we bottle. There's a point when Barbera is maturing that all of a sudden it has this really raw acidity and uh, at month eight, month 10, it's just kind of, it's still very angular. Like it's a, it's a 90 degree angle kind of thing. And then all of a sudden, month 12, 14, 15, depending on the vintage, cooler vintages can take longer. Uh, it'll just suddenly relax. And then, you know, it's time to bottle. Fruit is still great, but it has just sort of this extra earthiness coming out. The acidity's receded a little bit. And that's how they used to make it, you know, 100 years ago. You hold it in bulk in a tank until the acidity starts to soften, usually at about 12 months. Now, it wasn't necessarily rocket science. But this sort of full ripeness, dark fruited Barbera too, we have to remember this is a new invention. Even in Italy, before 1980, 
1976. I can't remember if that was when Bologna or the, uh, the other guy did the first vineyard-specific Barbera bottling. But a lot of the old Barberas, they wouldn't even finish malolactic fermentation because the acidity was so high. Uh, a lot of Italian Barberas were spritzy. They were slowly fermenting in bottle a little bit from secondary fermentation. Um, that's what happens without crop control, you know, without actually physically going into the vines and making sure that light and all of that is like it should be. So good Barbera takes some work, um, and most of the Italians will agree with that. But bringing it to California, I'm glad to see that it's finally getting some of the respect it deserves. It is a little bit finicky, but the end product is worth it for me. It, again, it is probably our best-selling red. Um, it's a great introduction to Italian wines for beginners because it's friendly, but it has some of the earth components, some of the acid components, some of those old world elements that you're just not going to get in California style Cabernet or something with a lot of oak to it. And we don't do it, but Barbera can take some oak also. It's very low in tannin and it likes to have a little bit of spice addition somehow. So in a sense, Barbera, although we're very retro and can sort of neoconservative with what we do wine-wise. Barbera is something that in a lot of ways was saved by the modernists. You know, French oak barrels changed the face of Barbera in Italy as well. So, uh, Drinking-wise, great with food. Uh, great on its own is just juicy enough, just round enough. Yeah, it makes you salivate and really want to eat some salumi for sure. Um, but because of the barrel aging, the acidity is not obnoxious. A lot of wines rely on the tannin, you know, Cabernet, Cab Franc, uh, even Pinot to a certain extent sort of relies on barrel spice to, to give it some, some tack, some textural structure, some verticality. Uh, Barbera relies on that acidity. It almost drinks like a white wine. It wants to have that sort of spine of acid that makes it stand up straight. And then the rest of the flesh kind of fills around that. Um, and I think in that way, it's it's true to the varietal. Um, yeah, I think it's a good wine. Uh, there are a few other people making good Barbera as well. There's some down in Paso, actually. Uh, Barbera can take... Barbera likes to be very warm, but not excruciatingly hot. And it's a grape that likes... It will take consistent warmth within a narrow band well, which is why it works where we're at. Nebbiolo wants to be very warm and then very cold at night. It wants to go like this the whole way. Barbera is actually good within a more compressed band. And you can get good Barbera from Lodi now. Um, just vineyard management has changed. You know, we, we treat vines differently now than we used to when we were growing just for tonnage. Some of these grapes, that's the key to really getting great quality out of them. So... Feel free to visit us online. I've got a lot of tasting notes on the Barbera uh, on our website as well. Um, we're delivering free on any four bottles in the Bay Area. And hang in there, everybody. Thanks.